Welcome to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Jeff Cindy Wolf. So we have one of my most favorite topics oh, of my entire life. And me too, because it's one of my favorite things to eat in this world. So we agree on that for sure. What is the topic, Tony? Oh, come on. Fromage. See, and she just defaults to French. That's just, it's just the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's Queso. cheese. Queso. Cheese, cheese, and cheese. Mm-hmm. What do kid doesn't like grilled cheese? Oh. Who doesn't like, you know, what little kid doesn't like This adult likes grilled cheese. cheese. Stick? Well, yeah, that's... Oh, my God. My, my niece... Cindy Wolf's Dirty Secret. That's, there's nothing dirty Desires about it. Desires for grilled there's cheese. No, <laughs> it's only good, really good bread. So if it's nice, fresh bread, and then I like, this is exotic, Havarti, and a little bit of jalapeno cheddar cheese. So let's hear the, uh, the detailed grilled cheese okay. recipe from... So, sh- let me finish uh, your introduction. <laughs> Seven times Jay's Beard nominated <laughs> chef, Cindy Wolf, making grilled cheese for with herself cheese and with cheddar. no one around watching. That's what I do. I take I, I put a saute pan on and b- put butter in there, and I put a whole bunch of cheese between the layers of two pieces of good bread. What kind of good bread? I, don't, I like the um, Tuscan bread sort of style bread. You know, a good crust, but still a little soft inside. It can't be hard. You know, it can't be (laughs) baguette. You know, I mean, like not when you're making it hot. Actually, I do make sometimes grilled cheese from baguette, but just a good, 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 you know, soft bread. Mm -hmm. And then I put the cheese in and then I saute it on both sides. And by the time I'm done, it's golden brown on the outside and melty cheese on the inside. Now, when I make it at the restaurant, I use Keene's cheddar, which is one of the greatest cheddars ever made in Great Britain. And um, that cheese is, it's, it's, you know, a 22-pound wheel of cheese, cloth-bound, you know, cellared in the caves of God. and um, Not the caves know. of God, but, I mean, they've been it's, making that particular cheese since about Oxford University's first oh, classes. My gosh, that cheese is so good. So if I'm, I'm making something at the restaurant. That's what I use. And um, also I put truffles in there. So now we've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. And I use brioche at the restaurant. It's because we make our own brioche. And gosh, you know, the great thing about brioche is it's just, it just sautés beautifully. It browns beautifully. It's light on the palate. It doesn't feel like you're eating a whole bunch of dough. And it's, it's crumbly, but not falling apart crumbly. Love it. That's the best grilled cheese sandwich ever. Minus the truffles. It's okay too. So let's get into nuts and bolts of, okay. of cheese. All right. So what what in the world is cheese? How well, is cheese made? There are a couple of aspects about cheese to me that are the most interesting part. What kind of milk are they made from? Goat, cow, or sheep? How are they made? Is it a pressed piece? Is it a is it just a a ladling off of the of the mixture into a hoop, you know, into a hoop or into a um, actually for goat's cheese they often go into a perforated little basket and uh, which allows the uh, whey to come out just naturally without pressing. I think that it, it, those are the three things. Well, and the other thing is, is it pasteurized or not pasteurized? Because that obviously has a massive effect on the taste of the cheese and right, the let, aging process. Let's go, let's go backwards. You have milk. Milk to become cheese, you have to separate curds from whey, right? right. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, you heat the product. Or not. Or not, and it curdles. Right. Uh, you well, you can also in, add acid, a form of acid, to make yeah. it curdle. So you add rennet to make it curdle as right, well. Right, right, right. It has its own natural acid, but mm. you, add, you add rennet, either vegetable or animal rennet, to to make it curdle. Mm-hmm. 
and a lot more people are doing vegetable rennet than they used to. But I think it's also coming back again to being animal rennet because I think they're just finding. I mean, there are plenty of people using vegetable rennet, but because for for vegetarians, but I, I think it's just coming back that they're finding that the animal rennet is tastes better. It has more flavor. It has more interest. The cheese is more interesting if it's it's animal rennet. So you take those curds, and that's what becomes a cheese. Once in a while, you have a cheese byproduct. Uh, mm-hmm. made, yeah. You know, that, That's that, true. that is used like cheese from made from the whey, like uh, the famous Corsican uh, product, the uh, brochu. That's great. I'm glad you brought that up. That's cool. Yeah. And who would have thought that they make something from the whey? So that's super fascinating. Well, then the other thing with the pasteurization process, I mean, I, you can do 144 degrees for 30 minutes. Or you can do 160 degrees for 15 seconds. And we can all imagine what 160 degrees does to the milk, even if it's only 15 seconds. So, you know, sort of the mass, well, I, I assume that they mass produce cheeses. You know, some of those are done, you know, quickly because they're making so much. They're trying to make it inexpensively. And then, of course, the 144 degrees for 30 minutes is obviously more time consuming, more of an investment. So that's what a better, you know, a, or a smaller producer may be doing. If they're pasteurizing their milk. If they're pasteurizing, right. So cheeses that are pasteurized are safer for consumption inherently, mm-hmm. right? You're you're killing off a certain amount of uh, bacterium that are there, period, by getting to that temperature. In reference to pasteurization, making cheese is all about controlled spoilage. I mean, that's truly what the process of making cheese is. So it comes back to, are you pasteurizing or not? You, you started out talking about cheese types. And there are a bunch of different classifications. Mm-hmm. So just in sitting down and writing some notes, it was funny. I, I, I realized, and I even just listed the ways that ch- the cheese are classified. And there's no one consistent thing. Okay. Length of fermentation time. Yeah. The textures, which is a pretty easy one to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the methodology, which is also a pretty easy one to use. You referred to, to, to some of those things. Uh, the fat content, which is one that... Honestly, I think a lot of consumers like to use um, the type of animal milk that mm-hmm. they're coming from mm-hmm. and the place of origin. Those are obvious. Those are, that's important. I think the most often used, I think, are usually the moisture content. You know, is it is it a hard cheese? Is it a semi-soft? It's so on and so forth. And then the, the fat and ripening methods. That's, those are the other things that help. It's funny. There's some places in the world where cheese is consumed at different times of the meal, too. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the thing we should get into in the, the second segment, exactly how is cheese used in menus. Mm-hmm. You know, besides making people listen to your grilled cheese recipe, <laughs> we should speak about it culinarily a bit. I, th- I think one of the interesting things about the cheese process is, is how is the is the curd broken up, because that's what defines what type of cheese it really is going to be. And the more you break up the curd, the more the whey is allowed to escape, which makes the cheese more compact and firm. Um, so the less way, the drier the cheese, the firmer the cheese. And then you think of maybe something like one of the harder cheeses, which is Reggiano, uh, Parmigiano Reggiano. And something that would be really soft where the curd isn't broken up at all is what I was talking about earlier, which is the goat cheese that goes right into a little basket that is actually almost like a strainer. A because it has whole, Yeah, it has perforations in it. And that allows the way to just naturally. So it just naturally the way comes out. And obviously not as much because it's not pressed. It's not the curd's not broken up. So I think that's the fascinating part about cheesemakers have so many decisions to make. You know, and then if if they're just making whatever kind of cheese they want to make. Now, if if, if it's a defined cheese, like you're you're making uh, Stilton, then you obviously have to make it the exact way that Stilton is meant to be made. So. There's a bit of a recipe that 
milk is coming from cows X, Y, and Z, and the fermentation is exactly what it is. It's cooked exactly the way that, it, that to, to separate exactly the way that it does. It's inoculated exactly the way that they do with the exact type of penicillins, you know, that they I think that's that what's fascinating about Roquefort is the fact that, you know, some sort of rye bread was at one time left moldy in a cave where they were aging the Roquefort, and it ended up, you know, that mold created Roquefort, basically. And now they actually, you know, make the rye bread, they dry it, mold it, and somehow, however they extract the, the mold, then they inject that into the Roquefort, which I just think that's so fascinating. Yeah, traditionally, you know? that Roquefort all came from caves, and the caves had the mold in the caves, and they would perforate the cheeses and leave them there for X amount of time. You know, you purchase it, well, let's go get you a good one, or you get a sharper one, or, you know, a milder one. Well, and in, in contrast to that, you know, you look at Stickleton. So I was just talking about Stilton. Yes, let's look at Stickleton. Stickleton. So Stickleton is? Is exciting because it's made just like Stilton, but it can't be called Stilton because he uses raw milk. And um, so I was not pasteurized milk. Yeah, I was so lucky to meet Joe Schneider is the owner cheesemaker, and he he came and ate at the restaurant and had lunch with a couple of other uh, cheesemakers that are re- represented by Neil's Yard Dairy in London. And um, yeah, he, the, he's from Notting the cheese is from Nottinghamshire, and it's aged twelve to fourteen weeks. It's a fifteen pound piece, and um, yeah, he does raw milk, and that cheese is so good. It's just gorgeous. And and Stilton Stilton is one of my favorite. Uh, we serve one made by Colston Bassett, and it's just they're one of the greatest producers of that cheese. And but it was exciting to get to taste his Stickleton with the raw milk. Really fascinating. God, I love cheese. <laughs> I just do. You know, I I get so excited when I get to do the cart for the day. Um, we do a tableside uh, cheese cart and, you know, getting to, I cut the cheese. I, I, I feel like they're my children, you know, sort of, you know, I age them. When I bring them in, I, I pay very close attention to how they are, what shape they're in when they come in, where they are in the ripening process. And, I, and I've been, you know, you started our program. You started our cheese program. And then at some point, you know, one of the managers was super excited about cheese and she was doing a lot of the buying. And then I, I, I took it over. And this was a long time ago. I took over the program. But it's just so much fun after all these years of seeing all this cheese come in and a lot of them being the same because I've been buying. We've been buying Stilton ever since you first started buying from Neil's Yard. And to watch it be, you know, maybe a little bit different. And every time I cut a piece of because we serve half at a time because it is such a big piece of cheese. Every time I make that first cut in half horizontally and get to see what that cheese looks like inside when it hasn't been exposed to air, it's so beautiful. It's creamy. It has these beautiful, very blue veins. And and sometimes it's aged a little bit more, so the veins are more green. And it's just, to me, it's like opening a Christmas present. When I open it, I, I can't wait to see what it's going to. It's, like, it's also how I feel every time I slice into a truffle. Because truffles, the design, you know, it's not design, but, you know, the way that the interior of the truffle looks each one is different it's like a snowflake it's it's each one is prettier than the next one and and looks different and it's just like this piece of art when you go to slice into it so the, i feel the same and the smell of the stilton when we cut into it i just i love it i hope for you that your christmas presents do not smell like a freshly cut stilton i do because that means somebody gave then me I know, a piece then of I, stilton then I, for christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it's one of my favorite things it's fascinating it makes shopping much easier this year. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, that's, so, that's good. I like it. So let, let's just take a minute and go through some of those classifications. Okay. Um, just for, to help people get them straight in their, in their heads. 
So fresh cheese, examples of fresh cheese. Oh, goats. You know, goats are well, fresh. Yeah, just just not all goats. Fresh chev. Yeah, fresh chev. Um, uh, really, ricotta. Um, but well, fresh chev. Ricotta is a byproduct. That's a mm-hmm. that's a way. And that's a good byproduct. That, that's a way product. Oh, fresh ricotta cheese. Well, ricotta oh, in, you can't often get in the U.S. But ricotta made from sheep's milk or yeah, goat's you can milk. Make it. You can make it yourself. Can be fantastic. And yes, mm-hmm. and that's, mm-hmm. I mean, Just that's like you in, can make in some of the restaurants. That's mozzarella. exactly what we do. We, we do. do. That's what we do as well. Oh, gosh. I love it when I go over to visit Mario and he's just made fresh ricotta. He knows he's going to lose some of his fresh ricotta when I walk in the kitchen and see that stuff. <laughs> it's so good. But, yeah, there are all kinds of famous whey products. But the fresh cheese, things like uh, cream cheese, cottage cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, farmer's cheese, queso fresco, mm, mm-hmm, mm. Uh, fromage, fromage blanc, which is a oh, dessert more than it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is sweeten it and uh, paneer. You'd see I, in the fresh cheese in Indian cuisine. Oh, okay. Um, and all kinds of fresh chev, uh, cas, you know, all kinds of fresh cheese produced. And then whey cheese we talked about. Oh, and then you mentioned mozzarella, which is a stretched curd. Mm-hmm. Right, you, which you, is so much fun to make. You cook it, to stretch it, and then mm-hmm. that's a yeah. totally different process too. The way it's stretched, you know, that's that's very unusual. Well, you can stretch it to the place where you almost tear it to pieces, and that's actually stracciatella, mm. and okay. that yeah. that has a little bit different texture. Again, it's not quite as tender. Mm-hmm. Soft cheeses are things like brie, um, and and usually mature more than a month or so. And there's so many different kinds of them. This is, you know, they're very short list. Uh, semi-soft things like uh, the Havarti you like to put on your grilled cheese. <laughs> or Port Salut. That's Tony's going to make those fun of me mild. about that for the rest that's, of my life. That's probably a good bet. <laughs> um, medium hard starts to get into a lot of the things uh, that people th- begin to think of as more serious cheese, like uh, Gruyere or uh, we call it Gouda, but I know the name is Gouda. From Holland. Yeah, but who says Gouda? <laughs> like well, nobody. Meat supplier is <laughs> Dutch. I can't say it wrong. <laughs> that's true. All right. You know, that's it. It would make fun of me. Uh, Kashkaval, <clears throat> stuff like that. Uh, hard cheese. You mentioned cheddar. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the British Isles cheeses are hard cheeses, for the sake of storage, cave aged. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. But there's still plenty of of chev that's made that way. In England, also uh, Cheshire, Gloucester are hard cheeses. So those are just quick classifications of cheese by by production and moisture. There are other ways to to go about it, and we'll get into some of those as well, whether it's fat content. That's, uh, that's one that people care about, uh, and technique a little bit. And then we'll do a little more uses of cheese, um, another couple of recipes. And then, of course, in the third segment, maybe we'll spend a little bit of time on wine and cheese, and then the cheesiest segment of all, <laughs> the chef's challenge. <laughs> All of that and more on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. I'm Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, it's all about cheese today. It is. I have a couple of fun facts. Can I tell you? Yeah, a fun cheese fact, yes. I can't imagine. Yes, kind of to reiterate what we were just talking about, just to put it in easy form. Three stages of cheese making. One is producing the curd. 
two is concentrating the curd, and three is ripening the curd. So those are the three steps of cheese making. Another um, interesting fact is a cow uh, can make eight to 20 quarts of milk per day. A goat is three to 4.5 quarts of milk a day, and sheep is one quart of milk a day. So it really tells you kind of why cow milk cheeses are <laughs> very, very prevalent. And, um, you want to be careful of managing the ego of your sheep then when I'm milking. <laughs> and then it takes two quarts of milk to make an eight-ounce camembert. It takes 16 quarts of milk to make a five-pound, well, it says five-pound brie, which I've never seen a five-pound brie, but maybe a big wheel is about five brie pounds. Brie de mole. I never think of that as being yeah, five pounds, but they're pretty two huge. Kilos, yeah. So that's 16 quarts of milk. And then to make a 220-pound Emmental cheese is 1,250 quarts of milk. You know, I have one of those right wow. in the back of my car. <laughs> so that's, I think that's really fascinating. And then, you, you know, I think, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about, you know, what is washed rye and cheese because that's such an well, unusual th- yeah, category. Te- techniques because te- mm-hmm. techniques kind of separate a lot of different kinds of cheese. We talked about blue cheeses for a moment. And uh, you, were, you were talking about how some of the blue cheeses are produced, mm-hmm. what the story of Roquefort is and that sort of thing. Well, there are lots of other cheeses that are famous that have different origin, different technique. Some are just simply blooming mold like brie right. or camembert. A blooming rind cheese. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's what that is called, blooming rind, which is so gorgeous. That white mold that forms on the outside of a, a brie or a camembert. People, and it feels like down. I mean, it's when you touch it, you, and you shouldn't because then it's gone, basically. I mean, you'll have a fingerprint on your cheese, but, oh, my gosh, it's so pretty and soft. And then they will catch you. <laughs> but the, the thing, it's funny. People always ask, well, should I eat that mold on the outside of the yes. cheese? Am I going to like that? Is that good? I don't think there's anything difficult about digesting it, especially if it's a pasteurized cheese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one. Two, I would say consume more or less of the mold of almost any cheese that's not a hard, waxy rind. Uh, or not just the mold, but I mean any of the, the rind. If you like spicy food, strong flavors, you'll like it more. Have more of it You're with the, about the interior. Rind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, an edible rind. Yeah, the 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 interior of a cheese is called the pate. The the rind is what surrounds that, and you have more or less with that, depending upon the cheese. And once the cheese is past, uh, you know, a semi-soft, it's very unlikely that there's rind. There's no rind of Parmigiano that you want to consume no, no. with the interior. It's pretty much like eating a rock. No, and the other thing that's interesting about Reggiano Parmigiano is the fact that they rub the outside of that cheese with salt. They rub it in, and that's what makes that hard exterior form. And Reggiano Parmigiano uh, ripens from the inside out because of that process, which is fascinating. I love that. And that's an interesting way of salting a cheese because then you have washed rind piece. So and go ahead, washing. So then with wash rind, they actually dip a cloth into uh, uh, a brine and they just rub the cheese with the cloth with the brine on it. You know, I can't say how often they do that or, you know, that's going to be up to the cheese maker. It's going to be different from cheese most, to cheese. I think mostly it's daily. Okay. And then, and then the other thing that's interesting is with a hard pressed piece that in order for the milk fat to distribute through the cheese, they have to rotate the cheese. So they turn them over, you know, again, periodically. There's just so many aspects to making the cheese, your decisions on how you're going to break up the curd, 
How are you gonna are you gonna put it in a hoop in a basket? Are you what are you doing to it? How is it getting pressed? Is it not getting pressed? Is it getting sort of pressed? And how are you gonna salt it? You know, because then the other ways of salting the cheese is it could be uh, yeah, seasoning is a very big deal. Yeah, and it has to have salt because obviously we all know salt is a preservative. And if a cheese isn't salted, it will just go bad. So it it can go into like a water uh, a brine solution instead of being uh, with the the wash brine cheese where you actually brush the cheese with the brine cloth, brine cloth, you can just dip the cheese in a brine solution for like maybe 30 seconds or a minute or however long they do. You know, that's another way of salting it. Or they actually just add salt to the cheese. So that the salting process is also a hugely important step. Is And then that next step is going to be how is it cellared and how long and how is it handled and Wash. Is it cloth bound? Is it not? Is it wash brine cheeses right? come to mind uh, like Monster, mm-hmm. uh, Monster Germain. Oh, so good. Um, that that is pretty good strength. Epoise. Oh, I love Epoise well, too because tell them what it's it's washed with because what that is because I can't say what Marc de Bourgogne is. I don't know what exactly that is. It's byproduct same thing, of wine. Yeah, same thing as grappa, French for hooch. <laughs> <laughs> You make the spirit from all the skins and stems and seeds that are left after you press the press grapes for wine. Stems and seeds. You go ahead and ferment that. Okay. And that, to some extent, that's historically the, you know, the strong drink of the of the poor people in wine country. Mm-hmm. It's a byproduct. It costs you nothing to come up with it. Yeah. All you have to do is have a still, and you can make it. And then they wash a poisse, which is made in Burgundy, obviously. Where Marc de Bourgogne is made. Yeah. So then they they season that and wash it. I love separately. that they wash that cheese with that, and that, I mean that comes in a hoop. And don't take it, you know. Okay. So just as a, a note of serving cheese, um, with uh, a poisse, it comes with a, you know, like a cheese paper underneath it. It's it's um, almost like wax paper because it, it beautifully does not stick to the cheese. Uh, so when you get the epoisse from, you know, when it's still cold from your refrigerator, take the top off and then just turn it over and knock the knock the cheese out of the hoop um, and then remove that paper and then put it back in the hoop without the paper. And then you you can spoon it, you know, just put it on the table with spoons for your guest um, and then you can just spoon the cheese. But do try to get all aspects of the cheese when you spoon it. Don't like scoop the center out, you know, because w- one of the things I will never forget you saying to the waiters is, and you were just talking about it, which is that talking about when you do eat the outside of a piece of cheese, you always called it, especially with something like uh, epoise, you called it the spice, which you almost just said, but you didn't totally yeah, say Yeah, it's, it. it's like the seasoning of the... Yeah, you, and I just think that's a perfect pate. way of describing it. You know, if you don't eat that outside of that epoisse, you've missed the spice of the cheese. The the thing that makes that cheese remarkable is having some of that outside as well as the inner pate. pate. That, that, that which has been exposed to air and washed in the mark and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a lot of flavor. It has it actually has spice to it. So you have another cheesy tidbit people should know. I do. So you know how holes start in cheese, how where they come from. Mm. Uh, little cheese hole makers. They are caused by a starter bacteria. The starter bacteria lives on lactic acid, and as it's consumed, gives off carbon dioxide, which in turn produces bubbles, and that's what creates the eyes in cheese. I love that in Emmentaler, Swiss mm. cheese, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's super cool. I always wondered why that happened. You love that bacterium. I do. I love anything do. to do with the fact that cheese is good. So what do, how, what do you like to do with cheese when you're you know, cooking? I like it as its own table product, one. Mm. And I like to use it and have it be incorporated as part of cold dishes for sure. 
So you take advantage of its inherent flavor and saltiness. And even it's as simple as having a salad of, I mean, that's summer will come and nice cucumbers will come and great yellow watermelons with that with floral aroma will show up to have a simple salad with those guys and lots of fresh basil and mints and salt and really, really good olive oil and some tiny tart you know, tomatoes um, to to mix in with all of that. But it just shows up, like you feel the fat of So what cheese, cheese do you like in there? You could use a number of different things. Manchego, the young, fresh mm. Manchego can work in there. And she's, you, uh, she's you sort of from Spain. cut it in pieces. Uh, feta, you know, a brine cheese, uh, especially a nice mixed milk piece that has uh, both goat's milk and sheep's milk in it. Uh, that can go well in there. But yeah, you just cut, you cut into little cubes or something like that and that's a very, very easy way to show off the, you know, the punch of flavor and fat uh, in that cheese. In, in in the north of Italy, an awful lot fonduta, mm-hmm. you know, more or less cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. It's Yum. one of the, everyone's favorite thing and easy to season in a really, in a way that you would love with uh, a little truffle powder or a little bit of fresh truffle shaving. Yes. Uh, because that flavor amplifies in the fonduta. And fondue is really, um, if you have, fontina is usually the traditional base for it, but it's cream and or milk. I mean, it's it's all things dairy with strong cheese in it made into a sauce, and you can put a variety of different things uh, cheese-wise into there. It can be all kinds of different mixed milk cheeses. You don't want anything too unbelievably salty because then it's hard to control. Or you can make mushroom stock and add a little bit of very intense mushroom stock. Mm, that's good. You know, that's to, good. I like that. To that. You can grill a piece of uh, Italian bread and make a bruschetta with just the fonduta on that and then gratiné it for a oh, second. Oh, boy. Oh, no. I want that's that right now. That's pretty darn good. I mean, that's, there's your grilled cheese. Oh, my God. It's just weird to me that you're talking about fontina. I just cut into a gorgeous wheel of fontina last night for the cheese cart from Valdosta. And it's uh, obviously a mountain piece. Um, you know, it's a cow's milk piece. It is. It's a big wheel. It's like eighteen pounds. That's one of the highest. Oh my goodness! Butterfat, you know, content by weight cheeses on on a percentage basis. That is not actually one of the cheaters. And by cheaters, I mean the the double creams and the triple creams are that that get cream added, not just milk, mm-hmm. to bump up that. This is naturally just a super high fat content. Oh, my gosh. When we cut into that, I gave every person in the kitchen and in the front of the house pieces cheese to eat. It was so good. And it's just, it's almost, it's nutty. It's it's like caramel. One of my cooks said it tastes like sugar is in there. And Ah, the milk is just really sweet. Yeah. It's almost caramelly in in tone. And it's so long on the palate. I mean, we were tasting it. And I'm like, I'm still tasting it. Oh, and now it tastes like this. And the texture of the cheese is beautiful. But, I mean, even when I just pulled the wheel out of the walk-in, and just really smelled the rind of the cheese. It was like musty and cavey and just, ah, oh, it just smelled I've like the earth. I've never seen you get so excited about things that are inherently nasty. Oh, I just love it. I, which, I, I am, which I totally understand. I would, I would love to make cheese. I, I, if, if, if I could stand to have goats on my farm, they, they look like they're crazy. I'm not sure I could deal with goats, but man, I would love to make my own cheese. I, I would love to take a photograph of, of you me raising and goats. goats. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's what I would love. Yeah, maybe I should just that get maybe. sheep. They seem calmer, and and then they also produce wool, which is kind of super cool. And then you know we yeah. could eat them. As but I'm I mean, have someone to sweep up after your sheep. <laughs> oh my God, you're really gone. You've to, gone into like full milk sheep, fantasy now. Sheep running around on my property—that would be like the greatest. And horses would be the greatest thing in the world. Mm. I mean, the things I like to do with cheese are about the cheese. It's not tucked into something. I, I agree. You were talking about having cheese on the table, and that is truly my favorite way to have cheese. I just like to eat cheese, and, and we've certainly eaten all, all over Italy, Spain, and France, and and oftentimes, and in the United States, where people will serve a conserve with cheese or some sort of fruit or whatever, and I appreciate that. I am not knocking it, but I personally just like to eat the cheese. I often won't even eat bread or toast points with it. I mean, if it's a, if it's, if it's a super soft cheese, you might almost have to eat it with a, a toast point. And I certainly love toast points, and that's how I serve my cheese. Uh, but I just love to eat cheese. Now, if we're going to cook with it, getting back to the fontina, again, sort of ironic that you brought that up because today I'm putting on a dish that we had at a, at a winemaker on uh, one of our trips to Italy. And um, they made us lunch, and we had seared foie gras with sauce fonduta, and um, there was creamy polenta on the plate. And it was one of the best things I've ever eaten. And I'm going to make that tonight. Um, I'm serving foie gras in two different ways. I'm doing a sweet prep uh, as a choice and, uh, and and also a savory prep. And I'm, I'm doing a, a version of a BLT with my savory prep, and I'm ready to change that right now. So I'm going to move to that. And... Mm, Melting cheeses like Fontina um, and yeah. Gruyere and all the, all the great melting cheeses, raclette, um, are just a treat. So that makes sense that you're cooking that because that's kind of what it's for in a way. You know, uh, obviously you can eat it as cheese, but you know, having raclette melted with you know up and looking at Mont Blanc and uh, Cogne, Cogne in uh, Italy, in the northern part of Italy, and having Brajala, you know, these dried, you know, cured meats and, and warm potatoes, these wonderful sweet little potatoes and and this raclette melting on the table in front of you. I, again, it's something I will never forget and was a great experience. Maybe a cold preparation for cheese, uh, you know, so you really are enjoying the cheese as it's as it's meant to be uh, eaten. I always kind of come to goat cheese and and I used to make a salad. Actually, my chef uh, that I worked for when I was working in Charleston, South Carolina, made the salad and I have been making it ever since then, which in the summertime when you have Roma tomatoes and they're beautifully ripe, you mandir them. So you, you put a little X in the bottom of the tomato, tiny one, so it doesn't cut into the tomato too much. You put on a pot of boiling water, you drop the tomato in the boiling water for about 10 seconds. It goes immediately into an ice bath to stop the cooking process because you're not cooking the tomato. You're just making it so you can peel the tomato. And then once it's cold, you can easily peel the skin off. I cut them in half. I actually use a, a melon baller or a Parisian scoop to pull the center of the tomato out um, and the seeds. And um, then I make a mixture of really good goat cheese with a little bit of extra virgin olive oil and freshly ground black pepper. And uh, I, I take the, the open half of the tomato on one hand, the cheese in the other, stuff the tomato, and then put it, when we serve it, we put the goat cheese side down on the plate. We usually serve two to three uh, pieces of tomato, depending on how big they are. And I serve that with a fresh basil uh, vinaigrette and some sort of great, you know, wonderful fresh lettuce, whether it's arugula or frisee, uh, something that has some punch to it. I love that. That's one of my favorite salads. And it's, it's not hard to make. No, that's always good. Now you just have everyone waiting for tomatoes. Yeah, I know. Mm. So when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, 
We'll spend a little bit of time on wine and cheese, and then, of course, the Chef's Challenge. All of that and more on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking all about cheese, and I've never seen Cindy smile so much in the studio <laughs> talking about all manner of foul-smelling things. Oh, my gosh. I just love it. Cheese is the best. It's like truly is one of my favorite things to eat and work with as a chef. I understand. Yeah, and sharing I have a great it. Love for it. People just love cheese. You know, if you have guests over and you have all these cool cheeses, people just get so excited. I love it. So what about wine and cheese, Tony? Uh, we need some wine suggestions for different cheeses. So if you have a favorite necktie that you see only on its own, and you have a favorite shirt that you see only on its own, if you put them together, they may or may not make any <laughs> sense, right? Yes. Your favorite quote-unquote cheese and your favorite quote-unquote wine may not make any sense having them together. Got it. Okay, things have to function together. So because of that, a lot of people's red wines that they get excited about often are pretty tannic, mm-hmm. meaning they have a lot of that grippy, chewy business that happens in the side of your mouth. Uh, various Cabernet Sauvignon or Bordeaux or Red Zinfandel or, or Australian Shiraz, uh, you know, Sagrantino or any, any Brunello, lots of things that are big, very expressive, have a lot of power, have a, a you know, deep fruit, but but are very firm. They're very difficult to deal with. They're going to explode over the cheese. Well, yeah, they, they, yeah, do, they dominate it, and they make the cheese just yeah. salty and bitter, and that's Got it. it. Right. So what do we need then? There are cheeses that want white wine that is sweet. One of the great combinations of all time is that we're talking about Stilton. Stilton or Roquefort, uh, though either of those with Sauterne can mm. be fantastic. Yeah. Sauterne is a sweet white Bordeaux that that has uh, a pretty high sugar content, but there's also big body, big alcohol. It has a lot of the vanilla character from being aged in oak barrels, and it has a really high acid level. And all of those things actually match up with the fat, the salt, Mm -hmm. uh, the intensity, and the bit of spice that comes from the blue mold. Well, and also Sauterne, to me, doesn't Sauterne have a lot of flavor? So, But that's kind of interesting that that lot of flavor works with cheese versus the big, bold, you know, Brunello or whatever. Well, it's, but it's it's the tannins that don't. It's the tannins. It's the, when I say function, it's not just are, are the flavors equally intense. It's do they actually work in your mouth correctly. Good. Okay. An awful lot of the time, white wine that is dry, firm, interesting, has good acidity, an awful lot of the time, those are the wines that do best with most of the cheeses that you find interesting. Okay, and I think that's interesting. And I've heard you say about white wine with cheese before because I think most people, including myself, have always thought, oh, well, red wine with cheese. So I think that's very, very informative. Magic. Thank you, thank you for that. If, if you're trying to match wine and food, you're trying to make both look attractive. You're trying to, to, sh- to, to shine light on both, right? Mm-hmm. If you there are cheeses that you can put with some red wines that are more robust, and, and there are lighter red wines that actually are more natural matches a lot of times. And I'm not saying only Pinot Noir, but that there are some red Burgundy. It, if alcohol is a bit more controlled, that helps. Okay. 
Uh, so New World Whites, if you have like a great big oaky Chardonnay with 15% alcohol, that's not necessarily going to be that attractive okay. with almost any cheese you put it with. So one of the one of the tricks with white wine with cheese is you, you can find things that are going to make each other attractive. That's that's the end game that I think that you want. Any particular suggestions? or? It's funny. The first thing jumps into my head is a light red wine <laughs> that's a little bit sweet, that's amazing with a cheese. What is that? So Parmigiano-Reggiano. Yeah. Parmigiano-Reggiano, salty, yeah, fatty. Super salty. Yeah. Right. There's almost like a, a crystalline lactic mm-hmm. sweetness to it, right? Mm-hmm. Parmigiano is made with skim milk. I didn't know that until today. That is crazy. And yet it feels so fatty on the palate. Well, it's, it's also skim milk. It's been essentially dried for you know, yeah, a year well, and a half it's to two, two year, years. Yeah, so two year for sure. Yeah. It's that, that two concentrate. Year aging the, process. the little bit of fat that's there. Yeah, well, the moisture's, yeah, it's evaporated. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. But that does incredibly well with Lambrusco. Lambrusco, there are real dry Lambruscos. Okay. And also sparkling wines from a grape called Bonarda from that same part of Italy near Parma mm-hmm. where the cheese where is the made. Where the cheese is made, right. And these are wines that are 7 or 8% alcohol, so light, and a little bit sweet, very high in acidity to match that salt, and super crazy attractive. Hmm. To have with that cheese, and that and it, that that's Modena, right? Modena's in that region, which therefore explain right it near is, Modena. Is it? Yeah. Modena, sorry, yeah. um, that also explains why when we were with what was Primo or what uh, when we yeah. had the cheese, the Reggiano outside. It, I don't know why I never put that together, but he served it with the most. Yeah, amazing, we're sitting outside in Valdebbiadene. Oh my God, the most amazing aged balsamico. And so now it makes sense. Obviously, that's where it's made, balsamico yeah. and the Reggiano, Parmigiano together. Oh, my gosh. I would never, you know, and I was just saying earlier how I don't like things with cheese. But that, that, those two things together are like talk about perfect marriage. Yeah, 50-year-old vinegar that's essentially syrup. Oh, my gosh. So good. Yeah, a little drop on the plate. I mean, you literally only need a couple of drops. But going back so, to the wine. Uh, white wines from Burgundy, Chardonnay from Burgundy, does well with a lot of cow's milk cheeses. Okay. That's one good rule. And depending upon the richness and intensity of the cheese, do ratchet up the richness and intensity of the Burgundy. So let's say you have a little simple Macon, then you want a relatively mild, um, maybe it's a Brie de Coulomier, something like that. Mm. If you have a piece of Munster, uh, Munster Germain from Alsace, which is a wash drying piece with good strength, nice and beefy. You want something more robust and more intense, more acidity, and probably a little more bottle age on it. Hmm. And maybe that's a, a crew from Alsace in uh, Pinot Gris that's a little bit sweet or drier from Riesling there, that kind of thing. Um, but that's there's a certain amount of what grows together, goes together, makes sense yeah, for cheese what, too. What, yeah, what grows together, but, goes together. But sure. please examine whites with a bunch of different cheese. The last quick thing, important cheeses made in France from the Northwest, Pont-l'Evêque, Camembert. This is one thing that kind of breaks the rule a little bit. If you have to have red wine with cheese, uh, wines from Bordeaux do very, very well with an awful lot of those cow's milk cheeses up there. Yeah, and Pont-l'Evêque is from Normandy. Yeah. Right? The cow region. I mean, like, yeah. they grow a lot of cattle or exactly. raise a lot of cattle there. In in other parts of Europe where you see a lot of sheep, a lot of goat, the wines that are from those areas, whether the south of France or from Spain, from all through Italy, uh, through Greece, 
those those whites from those areas usually do very very well with those cheeses. That's cool. There's way too much information to give you a ton at one time. Sure. And besides, you are in deep trouble. Right. I made a long list of fantastic ingredients oh that you're going to love with a deep love. Okay, so you gave me cucumbers, feta, schwarzbrot. Schwarzbrot. <laughs> I'm <laughs> having a white fruit moment. <laughs> does Does anybody besides Tony know what that is? It means black bread. Okay, mosh, gorgonzola, veal neck, veal stock, bottle of something suave, polenta. Ricciotto de suave, which Thank is you. a dessert wine made from suave. Thank you, Tony. Polenta, carrots, ramps, ramps, leeks, oh, dill, ramps. rosemary, parmigiano, pork liver. Ooh, that's fun. Prosciutto, eggs, pasta flour, pasta flour, spices. Okay, so I'm making pasta. I'm going to make macaroni, which in this case is long with long pieces of thin pasta with a hole down the center. And and the so thing like, I like about like, the long macaroni... Like or porcitelli? Yes, exactly. And the thing I like about that is that you have a long cook time. So I can uh, put it in the pot with some stock, which... You gave me stock, right? Yeah, veal stock. All right. So, oh, I have a veal neck, too. Oh, this is an exciting list. All right. So the, yeah. ve- the veal neck, I'm going to braise in the veal stock um, with the carrots and the leeks and work that. I'll make my and braise that so that'll be nice and tender. And then I'll um, pull some of the meat from the veal neck. And then- A lot um, of meat, a lot of flavor. Oh, my God. And I'm looking at the gorgonzola. So I'm going to do the pasta. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cook it with some of that braising liquid. Add the pulled meat from the veal neck. I'm going to finish that with gorgonzola, which will be absolutely crazy, and the ramps, and a little bit more of the leeks, and I'll put a tiny bit of rosemary in there, and I'll finish it with the reggiano, parmigiano. And then the prosciutto, um, I'll make a salad with the prosciutto, the cucumbers tossed with dill, you gave me dill, a little bit of feta, and the bread, I'll toast it and have just, I'll cut it out in circles, and, and that's how I can also have the mosh. And uh, and that salad will go with a little brown bread. And then the only thing I have left on here is a bottle of suave and the polenta. And quite frankly, I'm going to cook the polenta with a little bit of the suave and water. Wow, that would perfume it. That might be interesting. You said it's sweet, the wine. Mm-hmm. It might be sweet, fun. Sweet, good acidity. And the polenta, um, I don't really have anything. I, I, you know, I could probably even reserve a little bit of the veal neck for another meal and just serve it with that polenta. But I, I've kind of got my starch, so I don't really need the polenta. But, wow, cooking the polenta with that, that braising liquid would also be incredible. Maybe a little bit of the suave. Let's do that. And then maybe maybe we just have a little plate of the polenta with um, some of the feta on it, too. That would be fun. And just have a little appetizer. So that could be fun. We'll do that. All right. So that's that. I did okay. it. Wow. All those ingredients. Thanks, Tony. That was fun. Yeah. That's good right, stuff. So yours see. is very different. I did not. I, I basically gave you a list of cheeses. And I'm just going to tell you, oh you can God. do whatever you want to with them. But you have to use them all. So either you do you do whatever you want. <clears> but you, you have all the food in the world you want. You have anything oh. you want. You're not okay. limited in any way. I just so want you to use The cheeses you gave cheeses. me were Fontina, Reggiano, Parmigiano Reggiano. Chabichou de Poitou. So Fontina is Valdosta. That's in the northwest of Italy. Reggiano de Parmigiano is from Parma. Um, Both cow's milk pieces. So in Emilia-Romagna. Chabichou de Poitou is the southwest of France. Goat's milk piece. Goat's milk. Fresh. Goubine is Irish cow's milk mm. washed rind that so good. is um, sort of like Munster light. Yeah. And maybe Munster happy is the right way to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Berkswell... That's a sheep's milk piece. It, and that's pretty From firm and a little crumbly. Yeah. And epoise. 
Okay. Washed rind cow's milk we yeah. talked about earlier. Okay. So it's hard for me not to make uh, fonduta with uh, fontina. So I'm going to make fonduta like we, like I talked about a few minutes ago with, with uh, fontina. And I'm going to cook in that, um, going to roast slowly some chanterelles and make it very, very, very thin, crackery sort of pizza and brush it with uh, mm. fontina and uh, Yum. roasted chanterelles okay, and a little I want, reggiano. I want that right now. Yeah, that's Ooh. that's probably going to be good for you. <laughs> um, so that's the Fontina de Reggiano. The Chabichou de Poitou, uh, I want with uh, a salad of grilled vegetables. I really don't want to cook or do anything like that with that. But uh, let me have eggplant and zucchini and uh, peppers to grill, uh, maybe some white carrots and, and some cardoons. Uh, all of those went to blanch, grill for a few minutes, and then toss them in uh, good olive oil. Maybe not extra virgin, but something with some some flavor, but not that olivey. And uh, capers and caper berries and uh, little slivers of the shabichu, including the rind, so there's some real punch to it, and have that grilled vegetable salad. So that's and and a, a number of grilled toast like uh, like you would for bruschetta. So there is that. Goubine and epoise are very hard for me to do anything besides put on a platter. Yeah. You know, the Berkswell, I think, would make super interesting grilled cheese sandwich. So, but I'd like to make a little <laughs> grilled cheese club mm. and use pancetta as some bacon in there. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to put some pieces of fried green tomato that are fried in the, the second layer and a very thin sliced chicken <laughs> and some escarole. And to make a, a basically a grilled cheese club, yes, out of uh, that sounds out good. of that with that that fatty Berkswell, okay, running out of it, I think that'd be pretty fun. Uh, and then I'm going to reserve the gubine and the epoise for, uh, like I said, a cheese plate. That really, those washed rind cheeses have a very hard time doing something with. I, I've never cooked with either one of them. Absolutely. What what wine are you going to serve <laughs> with the epoise and the? Oh, this is going to require a lot of wine. Uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> that that pizza is going to want um, uh, petit arvine, which is a grape from the Valosta, mm. uh, and and relatively cold. So it's a white, very clean. Uh, think of a cross between uh, Chablis and White Hermitage as far as its character. The Chabichou salad business wants rosé, getting to the rosé part of the year, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe with something with some uh, some bottom to it. Uh, Bordeaux rosé, maybe uh, a rosé from a producer in Saint-Emilion, something like that. So there's lots of Merlot and Cabernet Franc in there. Uh, the the club, the club wants champagne. You mm, know, I mean, honestly, fun. and so, like some that. some big-bodied, happy, uh, super frothy, um, Pinot-driven champagne. So maybe um, Eric Rodet, a very good small grower, his Blanc de Noir is, is quite good. Uh, yeah, big, big, honestly gulping glasses of that champagne for that nice hot grilled cheese club business. And uh, it'll like that salty pork too, for sure, that's on there. And with the other cheeses, maybe mature, mature, premier cru, grand cru, uh, Chablis. Uh, maybe uh, Raveneau, maybe one of the 2004 bottlings like Valmeur, something along those lines. So you've just given me the things that I need to do for a Really fantastic rainy day. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think we are 
out of time. That's all the cheese we got for that you was today. Fun. If you want to follow us on social media, follow Chef Cindy Wolf. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram as Chef Wolf. I am on Instagram, the real Tony Foreman. If you want to download this or any of the podcast of our program, please go to the WYPR website, wypr.org. Look up the Foreman Wolf page. You can find every fascinating episode. And you also can correspond with us via email with questions, comments, and we like to build up questions for live programs to uh, read responses. It's foremanwolf at wypr.org. And thanks for listening. Happy Sunday.